Welcome back to another new episode of the Codings Pro interview series. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro magazine. In this special episode, we're sharing another peek into one of our new features of the magazine in 2021, which is showcase profiles of longtime members of SSPC and or NACE. This, of course, is being done to highlight the integration of SSPC, the Society for Protective Coatings, and NACE International, and to spotlight how the new combined organization known as AMP, the Association for Materials Protection and Performance, can best serve the coatings industry. Today, I'm joined by Warren Brand, who has been a key player in the industry for decades and someone who now runs his own consultancy. In today's show, we'll be discussing some of his personal keys to success, as well as what he sees as priorities for AMP and the broader coatings industry moving forward. Warren, welcome to the show, and I think a good place to start, if you could just give our listeners some background on your career. How did you get into the coatings industry and how did your career progress? Sure, Ben. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, I went to college and I got a degree in journalism and uh, did that in California for a few years, came back and had plans to go to law school. Um, by that time, all of my friends were lawyers and per, per, uh, pretty much universally miserable. And my family had a, uh, hmm. a small industrial coding company. So after much discussions with my dad and my brother, we agreed that I would come into the coding company and also go to school at night to get my MBA so that we could use those skills to grow uh, the company. And our company back then, Chicago Tank Lining, focused on um, internal lining of all kinds of different uh, tanks. So your career highlights when you were with uh, Chicago Tank Lining, I know looking at your LinkedIn, you had some really interesting projects that you did and also some lobbying work as well. When you look back on your time pre-consultancy, when you were, well, what were your roles at uh, Chicago Tank Lending? Let's start there because you began with marketing and then transitioned into more of a executive role, right? Correct. Well, I, I really began, I, I sort of view my consultancy and what I sort of do as an individual is I sort of try to fill gaps mm-hmm. that need to be filled, sort of like water, you sort of go where where it's needed, it seeks its own level. So when I first started in Chicago tank lining, I was out in the field, I was driving trucks, we were doing a lot of work on underground gasoline storage tanks, which required you to pump the tanks out, take a 90 pound pneumatic brake or break the concrete and dig down to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I started doing because that's what the um, what we needed to grow the business. And then I became familiar with all of the different and did all of the different tasks, including spraying and blasting and spark testing and all of those things that one needs to become familiar with to be a successful coatings contractor. Over time, um, we were really not doing a very good job of following up on proposals that we sent out. Um, we weren't doing any proactive marketing. And so I started doing that as well. And over time, uh, my brother and I basically became partners where he was handling operations and I was handling um, marketing and proposals. I would put the quotes together. Uh, he would um, do the work and ensure quality control. And, and that's how that's how everything progressed. And then later on, we bought our father out, so it was just he and I uh, mm-hmm. managing the business together. 
Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I think the marketing role makes a lot of sense because people don't realize how transferable those journalism skills are. Now, obviously, I went to Mizzou for journalism, so I'm a big proponent of traditional J school and you learn a lot. But even if you don't work for, say, a major market newspaper or something traditional, those skills translate to so many other industries so easily. And so when I look at your background, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you got into it on the marketing side and then progressed through the industry from that because people don't realize just how much the overlap uh, or how much overlap there really is and how much it can make a difference when you are able to follow up on those proposals and to get your clients to buy in and understand what it is that you're trying to do. I'm looking through your career highlights. It seems like one of the really fun ones. You specified the coding system for the water tanks in uh, tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, right? Right, right. So that's kind of a funny story. I was called down to Skidmore Owens and Merle, mm-hmm. which is one of the largest architectural firms in the in the world. And I knew somebody there. He's long been retired, and he came down to invite me down. And I didn't know what it was about. And I thought we were just going to be talking and talking shop and catching up. And he brought me into a boardroom. And somebody comes in, and then two more people come in. And by the end, there was like eight people sitting there with notebooks. And I'm like. Uh, you guys have me at a disadvantage. What are we doing here? And they go, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And they told me to turn around that there was a model there of the Burj. Mm-hmm. And they, the Burj was just filled with these large concrete water tanks and all throughout the building to store water so they didn't have to have uh, pumps on all the time to supply water. And mm-hmm. they needed a coating system that, in their own words, uh, they wanted to last forever. And so I sort of did a brain dump while we were talking, and then I did some follow-up work for them and identified a, a modified aliphatic urethane that was ultimately installed there. And it's mm. funny because somehow um, Chicago Tank Lining and my name is on one of the thousands of sheets of blueprints. And every four or five years, I'll get a call with somebody asking me about the coding system. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is there a blister? Is there something wrong? You guys really need to fly me out to take a look at it. And they're like, no, it's fine. We just, is there anything we need to do? And I'm like, darn it, no, there's nothing you need to do. Uh, (laughs) So that was a very fun project for me. Unfortunately, I was never able to get a flight out there to check it out. But it is in one of the uh, uh, Mission Impossible movies, the uh, where Tom uh, Cruise is climbing around on the outside of the bird. No, I went there myself in uh, 2014, I believe, and it, it looked nice. I mean, it's majestic when you see that and the infrastructure that goes into it. Uh, I'm sure it's a big source of pride for you that you were involved in it. That's a really cool project that I'm sure whenever you tell people, it just jumps off the page. Yeah, it was fun. One of the things when I look at your resume and sort of your time in the industry, so you went from a marketing role when you got into to Chicago Tank Lining to eventually becoming president and basically leading that organization and then transitioning over the last decade plus into your consultancy role, Chicago Corrosion Group, now your own W Brand Consulting. And one of the things that strikes me when I think of the transition from a company like Chicago Tank Lining to then leading a consultancy is that when you're in the former role, 
you're worried solely about going out and executing your projects and getting these things done as efficiently, as productively as you can, and you sort of have full control to an extent. Now, granted, you have crew members that may not follow everything to a T, but you've got your crews, you've got your employees that you can trust to go out and basically execute your game plan. Now that you're in sort of this consultancy role, if you will, which is very important, but I'm sure you see a lot of people who are not necessarily executing things the way they should be done. And so you sort of have a lot more, I, I suppose, failure analysis. Is that correct? It, it is correct. And unfortunately, that's most of the time we get called in right. is when things go sideways, with, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate. Um, I much prefer the consult. You're, you're right on both points, that you, you're a contractor. You have far more control over what you're doing, but you also have crews that you need to manage. And um, with consultancy, <clears throat> what I like about it is the precision. Mm -hmm. uh, we typically have companies hire us. If it's not a, if it's a failure analysis, we typically do the normal. Well, it's not even true. If we could get, it's happened before. I'll give you a quick case study. We had a client call us up. They had just built a trench system. Uh, near Lake Michigan, about 100, 150 yards off of uh, Lake Michigan. And they coated it with an elastomer the summer before, and it was failing. And the client called me up and said, we need you to do a failure analysis. And I looked at it and I said, respectfully, you don't need me to do a failure analysis. It, it's blistering and it's popping and it's delaminating. It doesn't matter why, mm -hmm. unless we're going to go sue somebody, which we're not. You want to hire me for a mitigation report, for a mitigation plan. And so very often, again, back to the analogy of water, we just try to do what exactly is required for the client. There's this great quote from, no, it's escaping me now, Albert Einstein, when you design something, make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. And that's what I do as a consultant. We're often called in, we identify what an optimal coding system is. We write very tight specifications. And then we, we can provide third-party inspection services, or we recommend to the client that they hire third-party inspection services. That way, the game plan is in place and it's optimized. And then the client or us, we can go find the best qualified contractors, the best qualified um, inspectors, the best material, and we can follow all of the best standard practices because we're sort of the quarterback of the whole project. And that's that's the best way we can add value to a client is get us in at the front end so we can prevent things from going sideways later on. I'm sure it varies some from client to client, but are there any common themes when a project goes sideways when you guys get brought in? Is it more like an issue of surface preparation? Is it something where they're not getting the right coding system for a given environment? Basically, what what are the common areas in which uh, you're seeing some of these contractors run into problems to where they're incentivized to give you all a call? So I'll give you two two examples to, or two answers to that. And the first one is much more important. Virtually every failure that we've been involved with has come from a bad spec, a misunderstanding, a conceptual mm. not following along what needs to be done. Um, I'll give you another quick example, and then I'll talk to you about the technical failures. That um, trench that we were talking about with that with that failure I just mentioned, the 
owner needed a stretchy coating, something like an elastomer with several hundred percent elongation. But what they transmitted to the coating manufacturer was that they needed a flexible coating. And if you take a piece of glass that's six feet long, you can flex it a little bit, but it has no stretch. And so that failure, while the mode of failure was blistering and uh, disbondment, both um, between the coating system and off of the concrete, the failure started with an email chain four months earlier where the concepts were just completely out of alignment with what was technically needed on the project. Mm-hmm. In terms of failures, it's the typical thing that you always see, blistering, delamination, intercoat delamination. And what happened is usually a pretty easy thing to figure out. The challenge is, unless you're going to go to litigation, is what's the optimal way to fix it? Mm-hmm. And I found that a lot of companies default to blast it off and do it over again. And that may or may not be necessary. Very often we, we are able to identify that intercoat delamination, for example, maybe the primer or the two first two coats are good, and we just need to find a way to put on the third coat. So moving forward, when we talk about what life's going to look like for you from a business capacity in the 2020s, you sort of had an interesting trajectory for most of the 90s. You were in your marketing role, transitioned for most of the 2000s as president of a contract company uh, in the 2010s. And to start the 2020s, of course, you've had your consultancy that we've been talking about. What do you plan on doing for the next decade? Is this something that the kind of work you're doing now that really satisfies you in terms of the impact you're able to make in the industry? So sure, that's a great question. Um, I love what I do. I love talking shop. I just love what what I'm doing. My wife will be retiring in a few years. I'm gonna be 60 in November. I don't ever plan on retiring. And so I Mm. plan on continuing to stay the course with Chicago Corrosion Group. my master's degree in business is in entrepreneurship, so I'm always excited about new projects and new opportunities. And to that end, I've started another company called uh, The Arm Method, and I'm releasing a book in October called The Art of Quality Decision Making. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm going to continue to consult exactly the same way with Chicago Corrosion Group, I'm starting another consulting firm that's sort of management consulting and decisional consulting. Mm-hmm that will help individuals and organizations make better decisions regardless of what issues they're facing. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. I plan on expanding gotcha. my involvement in business and, and continued involvement with coatings and corrosion. Yeah, and if you're passionate about your work, which you clearly are, that makes a ton of sense. What are your certifications by the way i I know you have some over your time but sspc nace what are your certs i'm a uh sspc uh cps okay and nace three so when we talk about the transition to amp what are your views as far as the certifications because you know i've heard it from multiple perspectives obviously it's a very hot button issue Number one, you're eventually going to be transitioning these certifications, which people are very used to, and that can create some confusion. The flip side, of course, is that rather than having all these different certifications from different industry bodies, now you're potentially having it more simplified, more streamlined to where maybe down the road, it's easier to understand um, what these certifications are when you say that to someone in the industry. What's sort of your view about 
what AMP is trying to do with the certifications and what the priorities should be during this process? Well, I have an enormous amount of respect and confidence in managers from SSPC and NACE and now AMP. And I don't know what the trajectory is, but I have complete faith that whatever it is will remain the recognized industry standard and that those of us old timers who are, have these varying certifications will get whatever new certifications are mm. based on our decades of experience. And the other side of this, those people in the industry who are familiar with SSPC and NACE are going to know what the moves are and what's happening. Mm. I, I was flown out to New York to look at a whole bunch of stainless steel pools by a large company. They don't know what NACE or SSPC is. On the other hand, when I work for a refinery or, um, you know, an, an international global food processing firm, most of the people don't know either. So it's really in, industry dependent. And those people who are in the corrosion mitigation industry, those owners like refineries and chemical companies and things of like that, they're going to know what's going on and they equally have confidence in everybody that whatever the new certifications are are going to be representative and have the same integrity as the old certifications another aspect of these industry bodies of course is the in-person events we're getting back to those we've got coatings plus coming up in december the first amp annual conference in march how important has it been for you over the years as clearly a success story of 30 plus years in the industry how important are these types of events that SSPC, NACE, now AMP put on to sort of uh, making connections, networking, and developing the types of relationships that are especially important to uh, what you do now as a consultancy? Well, I love the events because I love running into people that I've known for a very long time and, and I love talking shop. For me, um, I haven't seen a lot of attendance by owners and owners are my bread and butter. And by no means do I know everything I need to know about coatings or corrosion, but it's not a good use of my time to go to the conferences and learn in depth about all these different new technologies. Sure. My role is when an owner hires me to do something, if I'm not familiar right. with it, I'll learn at, at that point. Um, I do occasionally speak at different trade shows. I'm speaking at, uh, a conference in a couple of weeks, not affiliated with you guys. Um, but I don't go as, as much as I should just because it doesn't necessarily make financial sense for me. It's not the best yeah. use of my time and resources in terms of trying to, to gain clients. But there's no better place for anybody to learn and network within the industry. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that it has an increasingly valuable role for people who are starting out let me phrase that question to you in a slightly different way. Are there things that asset owners should be doing to potentially uh, get more engaged? Not that necessarily an asset owner is going to take the time to go out proactively to a corrosion conference, but are there things that asset owners should be trying to do at least to some extent to familiarize themselves with these industry bodies, with these industry standards so that they're not caught in a bad place when something happens? Uh, absolutely. And, and I've said that for years, that I always thought that SSPC and NACE should have some 
division or committee or something that mm. specifically targets owners to try to get owners involved uh, so that they have a basic understanding. Uh, I did an inspection on a tank for a, an enormous refinery and I was trying, I was in the bottom of the tank. It was an AST, it was about 45 feet long. Mm -hmm. I could not figure out what I was looking at until I realized that all the coating that was installed a few years earlier was completely gone except for an area about three feet by three feet. Mm -hmm. And the blast was just bad. And if the owner had just sent somebody there to have a basic understanding of what a three to five mil near white blast looks like, that wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, these owners are also, they're really pressed for time. Right. And to send a reliability engineer, you know, is, is hard. So they typically rely on coating manufacturers. And that was one of the reasons that I started Chicago Corrosion Group, because we're vendor neutral. Hmm. Coating manufacturers do a great job, but they, they're going to, it's like if you walk into a, into an Apple store and ask for a phone, you're, they're going to give you an Apple phone. We're vendor neutral. We are indifferent to what coating system or how thick it is or the specification. Owners come to us because they can't afford to send their people to go mm -hmm. to these wonderful conferences because mm -hmm. of the time constraints and the uh, and their resources. You may have already answered my next question, but what do you want to see out of the merger? And I suppose I should uh, add beyond the outreach to owners that we just discussed. What should this be doing for the industry? over the next few years as far as what AMP when this calendar turns to 2022 and things are really unified, not as NACE, not as SSPC, but truly AMP. What do you want to see out of the merger? What are some of the things that they can realistically do to sort of improve the industry over the next few years? Boy, that's a tough one and sounds like an hour long uh, podcast, <laughs> but broadly speaking, I think they should stay the course um, what I would like to see, and it and it and it's me selfishly because that's what I do. One day I'll be working on a on a swimming pool, and the next day I'll be working on a sulfuric acid tank, and I'm working on a seven mile concrete reinforced pipeline on one of the coasts. I can't say which coast. And so, I would like to see some way that the information that is that is the vast amount of information for both SSPC and NACE is divided up also by, instead of surface prep, perhaps there's, you know, swimming pools, concrete reinforced, um, rebar reinforced concrete, um, you know, sulfuric acid tanks, where you can drill down by a specific asset in addition to surface prep, because a lot of laymen, a lot of owners don't know where to look. And we did it like a, a sour water tank if you could have a portal for owners where they can go in and say, hey, I have a sour water tank. I don't know what mm -hmm. to do with this. They don't know what to look for in terms of a blast or DFT or anything like that or how to handle the chime area. But if you said, hey, these are the components that you need to address when you're dealing with a sour water tank, that might be of more value to owners and that might get owners more involved uh, within AMP. That's a good idea. Warren, before we wrap up, uh, any last words of advice, thoughts on your career, the industry? I mean, I know, as you said, we can go on for hours with this stuff, but is there anything that you would like to convey to our audience that we haven't discussed already? Another good question. I don't think so. I think you did a nice job of, of covering everything. I think the most important thing 
I, I could offer. And again, I'm, I'm, my major's in uh, entrepreneur. I'm also, by the way, a martial artist and, mm. and a journalist. And, and every time, whether you're dealing with an entrepreneurial thing, a martial arts thing, or journalist, every time you approach a project or a confrontation, it's brand new and you don't bring any preconceived notions to it. And so the best thing that I could offer is anytime anybody is working on a project, sort of take off all your preconceived notions and evaluate it as if it's a brand new project that you're looking at it for the first time, which I think will help prevent making mistakes from the past and also making assumptions that can sometimes get you in trouble, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it does. Before we sign off, by the way, where can people go to get more information from you? You can feel free to toss out your social media, your LinkedIn, a website, basically anything you'd like to plug that you think an interested listener that wants to know more about Warren Brand could potentially use to get started. Sure. Um, so my website is chicagocorrosiongroup.com. Anybody can reach me at warren at chicagocorrosiongroup.com. If anybody's interested in my new consulting venture, that's uh, armmethod.com, and we just got that live a few weeks ago, and that's A-R-M-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on any, on any of the other platforms, and uh, if they're interested, they can always shoot me an email, and I'll keep them posted about my upcoming book. And, of course, I love talking shop, so if anybody has any questions or comments, I'm always free to talk on the phone for a whole bunch without charging anybody or shoot me emails. I really passionate about the industry and and just uh, like to be of service. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people appreciate having you as a resource and I'll throw out as a plug for us. By the way, you started doing the Warren's Corner columns in Codings Pro that people can read okay. as well if they want to hear your insights. So, yeah, we'll do our own little plug there as well. Anyway, folks, Great. that's yeah. where we will wrap things Sorry, on today's ahead. show. If you want more information on our end of things, you can check out the AMP website at ampp.org. And you can also visit codingspromag.com for all sorts of news related to protective coatings. With that, we'll sign off for Warren Brand. I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks as always for listening and please come back soon for another new podcast from the Codings Pro interview series. This message comes to you from Codings Pro Magazine, the official media publication for Codings Plus. Join us for this exciting final year of Codings Plus, happening from December 13 to 16, 2021. Codings Plus is a jam-packed event with expert-led protective, marine, and industrial coatings programming, as well as technical sessions and workshops focused on surface preparation, application, coating formulation, testing, inspection, and green coating solutions. Visit sspc.org slash coatings 2021 for more information. We can't wait to see you there.